You're listening to the Versus Node podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. Welcome to episode 26 of the Versus Node podcast, the Game of the Year edition for the Nodi Awards 2012. I'm your host, Eddie Inzato, and I'm here with the Gamer Node editors. First on my virtual left is Jason Finelli. How you doing, Jason? Oh, me, not your other virtual left. Got it. Doing all right. How's everybody <laughs> doing out in, your, in the Skype land? Hmm. I don't think they can answer, but... Dan Crabtree, our managing editor, sitting on my virtual right. Ken, how you doing, Dan? Hello, I'm doing all right. How about everyone else? Good. And that leaves Mike Murphy. <laughs> how you doing, Mike? I'm not on the left or the right. Where the hell am I? I was I was actually uh, obeying Dan's uh, Dan's rule. I was laughing silently to myself the whole time. Couldn't <laughs> utter a sound, or else I would owe everybody a coke. Yep. You don't you don't want to be on that list, no sir. Uh, so. Uh, we had the Nodi Awards this year, huh? Woo! Yes, we yeah. did. And I was this on awards that, plural. Yeah, Sorry. I was sure to say that the Nodi Awards are the largest gaming awards feature on the entirety of the internet. We had you 44 think? awards. I really looked, and I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, they are very exhaustive. Yeah. Yes, it, it, I, I can't imagine another website going through as much detail as we did. We had excellence and special awards. <laughs> we were very, very thorough in our praise giving to those that deserved it this year. Agreed. To be so, fair, we also had categories for like most disappointing, divisive, TF moment of the year, craziest game. Yeah. That's what happens when you let your staff pick the categories. <laughs> Woo! Hey. You know, we like to have a little bit of fun. Hey, sure. come on, I like to have a little fun. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, if you want to go through the entire list, it, it's very well laid out. It's uh, easy to navigate. You can find that um, just in our features section. It, it's still on our on our slider on the front page, so you could always check that out. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to go through a few of the games that gathered the most awards. Uh, in the long run, and talk about them and their, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, what we thought about them. Um, so we might as well get right to it, and we're going to start with a, a game that um, we nominated in a lot of areas, and uh, we really thought highly of. It was actually a Game of the Year nominee, but um, I don't think it actually won a single award. Is that correct, Dan? Are we talking about Mark and the Ninja? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is correct. Listen to the uh, sound Mark, of Mark the Ninja. In his voice. Well, I hope that it is clear so that you all <laughs> feel ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say this: it did it did come in as our runner-up for best action game. Uh, okay, here. that's something. That's that's pretty big up against what, like Far Cry Three and Dishonored, Spec Ops: well, The Line. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it had it beat out those guys for best. So that's something. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so why was it the best, or why was it? Why should it have been the best action game? I think it's just a really excellently made stealth game. Um, I think by taking out that third dimension, so you know, instead of having to 
Okay, so a game like Splinter Cell Conviction, super great stealth game, but because you have that third dimension, there's so many added variables that there's just no way you're going to be able to account for as a developer, right? Um, mm. And so you try to build tight corners and ledges and account for, and you sort of guide the player and say, hey, you know, maybe you could shoot out this light and, and give them hints a little bit, um, but also keep it, you know, a sandbox experience. Um but I think limiting it a little bit by just cutting it down and saying, hey, we're only doing a 2D game, but we're going to make the tool set really um, vibrant in terms of you know each tool can do a bunch of different things. Um, and then we're also going to make the landscape itself a, a really viable tool and also uh, pretty varied. Mm. Um, Sounds like everything then- there has a purpose then. Yeah, absolutely, right? So so you don't have any space where the developer was like, oh, what do we do here? Because everything was very intentional. And, mm-hmm. and I think you can do that when you narrow your focus like that. Um, yeah, I, mean, and I agree. I, I think also just the way that they handled sight and sound was really clever. You know, they had just the visual bubble for sound, at least in the, the regular mode, if you play in like the special New Game Plus. Um, you don't see that, but uh, they have like a you know just a ring that shows you if if something's making sound, you can visually see it. Um, and then for for vision, um, if you're hiding behind something, your line of sight only lights up as far as you can see around it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to like peek over or peek out in order to actually be able to see something, which is changes changes how you have to approach a stealth situation. So I think it's by saying, hey, we're not going to try to do too much, I think they did a few things really, really well. And that made a very good stealth game. Mm. Um, I don't think it's like, like nobody's walking away from it like, oh man, like that was really emotionally affective and like I'm super, it changed me. <laughs> like, this isn't, you know, another game I'm talking about a bunch, Journey, right? Like it's not, it's not anything like that, but it was just such a fun game. And I've, I've, beaten it two to three times now two and a half i would say um and each time it's been completely different for me and i think that says something too right yeah i think focus and direction and and perhaps minimalism are sort of a a recurring theme this year and you know i I was noticing it uh the other day i was playing resident evil 6 that sometimes when you have such a, a big world you don't you end up not using it, and there's a lot of artificiality in that. Like, I couldn't walk past a garbage can yesterday. And I was playing Resident <laughs> Evil 6, and I was like, really? Uh, that just... Uh, I can't suspend my disbelief that much, I and I feel like... It was the garbage can zombie! <laughs> <laughs> Resident Evil 6 in a nutshell. Can't walk past garbage. <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah, Mark of the Ninja uh, in its precision in, in minimal design definitely has something to offer there. That's uh, that's Clay Entertainment, right? K L E I. Is that how you say it? it? Is. Yes. Clay. Those are the guys that did Shank, if I recall. Indeed. It is. Remember how they, they had a couple of different folks who were leading this particular project. Um, one of the guys who was a writer for Shank, um, Nelson Anderson, was sort of the the lead uh, on on this one, and actually one of the guys he used to write for Kill Screen, um, Chris Dallin, um, was was also one of the lead writers and and directors on that, and I think they really had a, a good vision for saying, hey, let's pare this down and let's do something that's unique and focused. Um, granted, how... it's also totally clay, right? Because you can, if you see it, you're like, oh, that looks exactly like yeah. the art style from from. Shane. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying it's nice to see a studio 
evolve, especially mm-hmm. a little, I guess you could call them an indie studio, but you know, like a, a smaller studio like that. Cause remember, if you recall back at PAX East 2010, we were really excited about Shank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, and, totally. and then Shank came out and it was a great game. And then the sequel, and now they're, they have another new IP that for me personally is a little more under the radar because I didn't have that, uh, convention experience. I didn't see it at a convention like you guys probably did. Yeah. Um, so and that, then also, you know, the the second game sort of didn't didn't seem to have the impact as their first uh, Shank game. So it right. kind of like yeah. they we, they hit a lull and then they they came back kind of strong with Mark of the Ninja. You know, it, it, I mean, it was surprising to me. So moving on from uh, Clay and their all their games, uh, just your dark room glasses, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually am wearing dark rimmed glasses right now. <laughs> 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 so I'll adjust my dark rim glasses and move on to another game that uh, surprised us. It, okay, it was our runner-up for most pleasant surprise, uh, Spec Ops The Line. It also came in as our runner-up for best authored narrative. So um, who, was, who was a big advocate of Spec Ops this year? I was for storytelling. I, I am. I wasn't, and then I played <laughs> it, and then I was. Uh-huh. It's funny how that works. Yeah. Like, yeah. Aw, shooter game. You know what's weird though is I did I heard a ton of people talking about it and I was like, oh no, this is gonna be like one of those or something. I don't know what I thought it was gonna be. But I was like, it's one. I, I considered it like, I don't know, some sort of lame attempt, and it and it was not. It was really very well done. It 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 uh it starts out as your normal third person shooter, right? And then all of a sudden this one thing happens and it turns into Heart of Darkness. Mm. I love that. I love that, and, and then just the the, I, I, a bit. I'm a big proponent of emotion in games, and we'll talk much more about that later with other stuff. But, but just that the the, the three guys arguing with each other after the the pivotal white phosphorus scene, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, fate play it. It's well worth it. Just the the, the bickering, and then the look on the guy's face, uh, Captain Wal- Walker, right? That's it, right? I can't remember. Mm. Captain Wa- Cap- Martin Walker, right? Right. Sure. Right? Sure. The captain's face when he walks away, um, and all of a sudden, for the rest of the game, he's a different guy. It, it, it's I was blown away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually the first game I played pillar to post on a PC, which is new for me. <laughs> I, I finally did got you into have the a game pad? I did. I used a, a 360 controller, so technically I was playing it like I normally would. But That's um, exactly how I played it as well, and enjoyed it, it, it very it, much. It, it eased me in, and I was very, very. It was it was a good way to start PC gaming. It really was. I enjoyed it a lot. It's an incredibly visually built game, right? Mm-hmm. The the way that they've constructed certain scenes to just be so saturated with one color or one image or one, uh, you know, super sweaty looking floor, <laughs> you know, like weird <laughs> things like that, right? Uh, just really striking vista um, shots from when they're on top of these big buildings and like sand swept Dubai and all that. That's really cool. For for all the complaints that games get about being too brown, yeah, I feel like this game did brown really well. Yeah, it, it's sand, true. of course. It's going to be that color, but it, I the, the like he's saying the vista is like I'm standing on a roof and just looking down and seeing think... sand blasted. Uh, uh, skylines, awesome. 
I'd encourage you to go back and play it again, or at least watch some footage from different chapters again. And I think that you'll be surprised with how different sand looks in each chapter. Um, and there's, yeah, there's some that, you know, it's just sand, right? It's sand color. It's journey colored sand, sure. right? <laughs> um, but then there are some where it's sunset and the sand is red and it's sort of glowing like blood almost, right? And, yeah. Uh, and then there are some where it's it's dark and it's night and so it's sort of reflecting like a blue moonlight. Um, and then there's others where he's sort of like hallucinating a little bit and it's got this whole other hmm. whole other look to it. So I, yeah, I think they did brown well, but I think they did brown well because they didn't really use brown that much <laughs> because they they used a pretty diverse portfolio of color. Now, my question is, when is Nolan North going to become the next Prince of Persia with the sands of time? Because he, he seems to be the king of sand at this point. I mean, until he's in Journey. <laughs> <laughs> if if anyone ever talks in Journey outside of a chirp, I think I'll... Oh, that's it. Put it down. Yeah, yeah but what if, They'll just, what if they'll just have drink? Journey 2. They'll just hire Nolan North to do all the chirps. I'm still stuck on Nolan North narrating Journey somehow, <laughs> like as Nathan Drake, right? <laughs> Just like, whoa, 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 watch out there. <laughs> no, if that's exactly how he sounds. Serious voice. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. Right. <laughs> Nolan North did not win. Uh, Best best male lead though. Um, that wasn't that, even nominated this year. Shocking. No, uh, but there is a game that that was nominated for a bunch of things uh, <coughs> and won for one of its characters. Uh, Michael Mondo won as Voss in Far Cry Three. Um, it was also our runner-up for best technical visuals. We nominated it for best game world. Um, it was in there for action game. Voss uh, just lost out as the worst villain, um, even though Michael Mondo won as the best actor. Um, what else? I, I think that's about it. But you know, it's in there a lot. So, uh, Mike, what do you what do you think about Far Cry Three? Um, honestly, when I when I was first looking at looking at Far Cry Three back in at E3, my first impressions was of the multiplayer, and I wasn't. I wasn't all that impressed, despite how interesting the 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 first trailer was with uh, you know Michael Mondo's vast talking about insanity and all that. As impressive that was, uh, I I went to the typical well, you know, it's a trailer, it's a, it's a cutscene trailer, you know, I'm not going to make any judgment until I see gameplay. And then I saw the gameplay, of the multiplayer, and I got my hands on it at E3, and I was like, well, it it, it just feels like a regular shooter, like, uh, and you know, I've never never seen the point of far cry before so i'm not so sure but then over the uh, over the course of the year it started getting more and more buzz and it came out and everybody was saying how great it was so i was like okay you know what i'll give it a shot and i was proved wrong very much so uh i i i will say that i absolutely hated uh the protagonist um i believe his name was uh jason jason brody <laughs> I hated Jason Brody, um, and I can get into that more later. But um, essentially, I was I was just blown away with with how beautiful everything looked uh, in that seamless open world. 
I was uh, very intrigued with all the uh, the wildlife that was there and how a lot of the uh, all the carnivores there, if they run into somebody, they will attack and maul the crap out of out of those people, um, which which in my case, I just was like, ooh, free loot. Um, all the all the little side missions and side quests they had, which was a ton, plus all the viewpoints and uh, all, the gunplay was a ton of fun. I loved all the uh, the upgrades and customize um, like customizations you could add to the guns. And the number one thing I loved above all else was uh, Michael Mondo's performance as Voss, which is why he rightfully won the Best Performance Award. He really, as much as I hated uh, Jason Brody, I loved Voss. And I, I, was, I almost found myself rooting for Voss as much of a like psychotic freak he was. Like I kind of start, started to like him. And as you... As the game progressed, it sort of peeled back layers on Voss and made him a little more human. And you started to ins- like understand his insanity, and you almost started and you started to agree with him and side with him. And I found that to be incredible. And Mondo's performance just made that all the more better. You know, what's interesting is that that it was a very different character until Mondo signed on, and then they essentially wrote the, that character around his voice. Yeah, uh, is that they had just a complete, I, I mean, probably a similar purpose, you know, a villain, um, some sort of main antagonist, but but apparently just a lot of the writing itself and a lot of the character came from uh, the voice actor, which is pretty cool. You don't see that a lot. I feel like usually the, the writers are sort of, you know, they're king and they need to find the actor to fit their words as opposed to vice versa. That that is really interesting because I felt like in this game they didn't use what they had in the right way or their ideas didn't come through like I thought that they were trying to make them come through. What it felt like they were trying to tell you is that being out in the wild on these islands, you know, you start off as this basically this this kid, you know, maybe with a silver spoon in his mouth and um you, you eventually you turn into something more animalistic. But the way it it worked out was I just felt like I was the well, the mean, actual interesting part of the game to me was definitely that was the very beginning essentially when I had to fight for my for my for my kills you know I had to go hunting I had to build up pelts to make my my um my different ammo pouches. holders pouches and all that dude and things. how terrifying were tigers up front right like yeah until i got my range of 700 yeah <laughs> exactly know? um and then uh, you know at that point i was i was basically king and it that was it it's not and, good yeah to be and king. if you're king of that island it's it's boring and it and it really is sending the opposite message of the narrative which the narrative is trying to tell you no this is a descent into madness right this is a you're becoming less human and and that's partially what violence in games is doing to us maybe that's sort of the larger message there Mm. um there's also the fact that just because you do the right thing doesn't mean you're you have good motivations about doing the right thing it's kind of like saying uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions this could be the exact opposite of that sure yeah the road to good intentions is paved with hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say the road to heaven is paved with bad intentions. Yeah. Um, because essentially, I mean, I know you're you're liberating the place and making it all nice and everything, but at the same time, you're not doing it necessarily to make 
everything right for the people who are living there. Jason Brody, in the end, is really kind of a prick and really doesn't give a crap about the natives. All he cares about is getting the hell off that island and rescuing rescuing his friends and killing every single person uh, responsible for killing, you know, the the character who dies in the beginning. And none of that is very, like, you know, heroic. It's very much selfish, uh, very much what um, you might might expect from a character um, like like Jason Brody based on, you know, his background and the situation he finds himself in. He's the only reason why it happens to work out for everybody else is because, you know, he wants Voss and his, uh, like, pirate mercenaries to pay for what they did. And basically the fact that he's helping out this tribe on the side is just, you know, just a side kind of a uh, side result of that. Mm. So Jason Brody sucks is what we're saying. Basically. Pretty much. The game, the world is good. The the riding around in your Jeeps and shooting animals and all that stuff is great. Building yourself up. It is, yeah. But it's, Jason it's just like Brody's if you have to put boring. it in context, which yeah. the game asks you to, you know, it's yeah. like, hey, put me in context. This is, I'm trying to say something, right? Yeah, but I just don't know how to say it. So um, we did have a few great heroes, though, and uh, not the least of which is Max Payne. You know, back from the dead, essentially, for after like nine years of development or or just absence. Um, Max Payne three didn't really win a whole lot, but it was nominated in a in a fair number of places as you know best best action game. It was I don't think it made our game of the year list, but um, Max Payne himself won our best hero, and uh, Max Payne three won for most cinematic, and it was up there. I think it was third. Which you guys wouldn't have known. It was. It came in third for best action game. So, um, I was really a big fan of Max Payne, and I think I think Dan dug it too. I did. I I want to hear your thoughts on it first, though. Well, um, see, I I think that they they really nailed the action game, um, and they did it with a strong lead character that drove the narrative in uh, like perfect symbiosis with the gameplay and it's kind of like mark of the ninja the way you said that it was distilled down to the elements that that made it exactly what it should have been i think that was done with max Payne incredibly well and you know a lot of the elements that we look for in a video game just really came together um and you know i feel like a lot of people overlooked it you know even after seeing rockstar come through with another very particular you know genre specific work in like la noir which is a specific um subject matter and red dead redemption and other specific subject matter uh they they kind of like did that again with max payne it was like the pulp film version you know we had the western and then the uh the the detective uh, noir film now 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 this pulp action game um and to me it just really resonated with my gameplay sensibilities altogether i I think you're definitely hitting on something when you say it's got like that pulp vibe because it it feels and and i would argue that red dead sort of maybe it wasn't the start of this but it, it had this as well is that rockstar is getting very good at stylized games and they're also getting good at making games with a fair amount of humor in them um and games with really strong characters very strongly written dialogue right mm-hmm. um and lots of it 
you know, it's a ton of that content. And to me, that feels like a Tarantino movie, right? Yes. Um, and but it's you have to fit that within the context of the game, so they also just make it very violent. That's this sort of the 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 center that all of that revolves around, which also not that different from a Tarantino movie, right? I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think that's what draws me to it, at least, is is that sense about it, where you get that there's a larger message, um, but it's not really beholden to itself, and it's not uh it's not preachy right and it's and like the main character doesn't come away from the thing in the end like i'm a changed man and like i got my family back and everyone's you know it's it's like no i'm still like a son of a bitch and yeah <laughs> and i killed a lot of people to just stay a son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> and and max himself is just <clears throat> such a ridiculously good character to me not because not because he's anything super special or out of the realm of what you've seen before, but just because of what he goes through and the things that he says while he's committing these acts and seeing these things. And you you hear him waver and he's drunk and he's on pills and he's like questioning, but he's still doing and he's like not sure and he's kind of an idiot, but he's kind of a hero and he's kind of not a hero. It's just I really dig it. <laughs> Yeah, well, and the way that they do, like, the grainy, stuttering film um, and the, you know, how it sort of chops scenes up yeah. as well, that, that stylization, I think, is perfect for his character. Exactly. I, I liked how it um it kept me guessing, because in the very beginning, they give you a clear objective, um, which is rescue the hostage, Isabella, if my, if my memory serves. But then you finally get to her, and... It turns it upside down on you, and you're like, "Now what? Shit!" I, I like that. I like because I, I thought when I got to that point and it was time to rescue her that I might have been done. Hmm. I thought, "Oh, great, short game, awesome." Waste, I, I wasted this little bit amount of time just for this, and then boom! All of a sudden, there's more to do. Hmm. I like that. I like a game whose story can keep me on my toes. I don't like predictability. I like being thrown through a loop every once in a while. Yeah, for right. sure. And of course, bullet time. Bullet Ugh. time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just time. Still cool yeah. after all these years. It wasn't our most badass player mover ability, but it was our runner-up. Yes. Uh, um, now, we're going to continue on to another game that, that sort of kept you guessing, I guess. Um, Assassin's Creed 3. Um, maybe it didn't even keep you guessing. Maybe it just, you know, kind of kind of kept you thinking one thing but then it switched it up on you and i think jason has a lot to say about it i do i do basically right around the time i went to e3 um assassin's creed 3 became number one on my radar i have played every second of every previous assassin's creed game this was for me this was my ending it's the ending of the trilogy that i had been promised was supposed to be a trilogy, remember, and then it became a yearly thing. Mm. It's the end of a certain character story. It's the end. That's the word I kept hearing. No. No, it isn't. And the fact that you did what you did to the character whose end it is makes me very upset. You can't take a guy who has been a central part of this series for five games over six or five years, right? There's four games over five years, excuse me. Four games over five years, and this is, be, this is the fifth game, and 
basically toss him aside. Because mm. that's really what they did. Oh, they yeah, that was, no, that was totally... Yeah, the whole the ending to that game and <clears throat> I don't know the whole how they played out the rest of the Desmond story. I was not sold. I mean, technically, it was the end of that story, and they could begin someone else's story. But if you were going to end it, you probably should have ended it in a different way. Or as much as it would have irked me that you didn't end it and that you kept that arc going, at least you wouldn't have done what you did to that to to. At least you didn't do I the mean, ending. You could you say chose. Desmond. I mean, it's pretty. We we don't need to pretend that. All right. <laughs> that nobody okay. understands that. At least you. At least <laughs> you didn't do to Desmond what you actually did, because I feel like what they did to Desmond in the end was a disservice to the character. Like I Agreed. grew to like him. Now I don't get to play with him at all. I was so looking forward over this entire trilogy for an entire Desmond for like a Desmond game or full on Desmond assassin action, and we didn't get that. Mm, right. That's what I feel cheated out of with the ending of Assassin's Creed 3. Not the fact that the story is the pseudo overarching with the ancient civilization story is still going on. The fact that I feel that Desmond got screwed over. Now, another. Okay, hold on. Let me let me also interject this real quick about that ending. <laughs> so there is a moment right in the ending scene where the there's sort of these two opposing. Uh, god figures and they're they're saying hey here are your two options you can go this way you can go this way and then what happens I know Desmond going. just chooses yeah it takes it's, chooses it's like for such you. a okay maybe maybe I'm just too acclimated to binary decisions in games and maybe we've been given that a little too much to where I just expect it now but to to serve it up like that where it's like we're totally gonna give you this choice you get to and then just be like, no way, I'm going to make that choice because I'm Ubisoft. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I okay. I agree 100%. It's like every time you go to open your mouth, someone says something for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. But this was like totally the culminating, like the the fulcrum of the ending, right? Mm. And it was, it. It, and and it was like... I, I mean, for a good five minutes, they're having this conversation, and they were like, "You can choose to do this with the world, or do this with the world." And it was like, "Holy crap, this is such a sweet decision!" And then they're like, "Desmond's like, yo, I'm just going to stick with the first person." <laughs> Thanks for introducing that secondary option, but uh, just for yourself. But uh, yeah, nope. Now, for everything that the present day part of Assassin's Creed Three angers me for all of that angers me the colonial part was pretty cool it was however epic. i have an issue there too <laughs> when this you're is why it was our most or our, our second most divisive game yeah first one's <laughs> later if you're going oh, to yes. introduce a brand new assassin which obviously you should it's a new time period don't make us play as his his father for the first four or five chapters of the game and then bring him in in chapter six God, it was the slowest beginning. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed. Oh, I, I loved playing as Hatham. I think it's it helped set up and sell uh, Connor's story better, and gay and like helped shed more light on the on the Templars and made them a little more sympathetic, and also really helped to flesh out and fully set that backdrop of the dynamic between Hatham and Connor. Yeah. So I was perfectly. I I know it it took a while, and I and even I was like, wow, this is kind of taking a while to to get to Connor, but I was still enjoying the ride while it was going. So it never really felt like a letdown or, 
or too I long of a tutorial to make. I think it'd have been okay with it if it was only two chapters. Mm. Okay, here's 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 the jams with that. I think that there's sort of an innate. It might not be a lack of respect, but it's certainly a lack of thought about different types of gamers when it comes to that intro. Um, you th- you think about folks who have talked about making games I'd, um, in the way that they say, we want this game to be super deep, but we want it to also be incredibly accessible, right? Mm. You make a game beginning that's, I mean, for me, it took three hours before I was grown up Connor, right? Right. Um, which I'm not even going to bother counting kid Connor. That's super boring. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so three hours before I get to start doing stuff that's pretty fun, right? Right. Um, that's. Hey, that's better than I, Final Fantasy Twelve. <laughs> listen, I'm I'm on board with that. You got a different <laughs> crowd of people behind that. Either way, you you're alienating a really big group of folks who are saying, "I just want to like get in the game and I want to stab people." Like that's what you marketed to me, and that's what I like. That's what I did in the past games, and I really enjoy that. And like, I don't want to have to care about your story. Mm-hmm. I don't think I should have to as a gamer. And I think, personally, I think good game design doesn't force that on you. I feel like because there were three Ezio games, I feel like people kind of sort of forget the fact that Ubisoft almost did the exact same thing with Assassin's Creed 2, where, like, you spent a yeah. good three or four sequences as young Ezio growing up and learning how to be an assassin. And in the first, like, two chapters, all you could do was climb shit. You couldn't stab anybody. Somehow that was. Anybody. Somehow I don't remember that being as torturously boring. <laughs> and and also, I mean, to your defense, you said you want to. All you want to do is run around and stab people. I mean, technically, as Hatham in the first in the first chapter, or second chapter, you could do that. And also, it's you were Austin. You could do that. You weren't Connor. You weren't Ezio's father. You were Ezio. With Hatham, yes, he ends up being an interesting character later on, and yes, this is necessary in making that interest but when you first turn it on you're like hey where the hell's connor what's going on here you know what i mean i thought that, that too but i was i was still kind of like you know what i kind of like this hatham guy let's see where this goes well it wasn't going to make me stop playing <laughs> i mean he he was our our best villain after all right yes yes which dan which totally agrees with <laughs> and, <laughs> spoiler if if i'm writing them up now but in my listen up awards yes he won uh, staff pick for quote of the year. Oh, oh come on! And speaking of sound, actually, you know, moving on staff to more pick. more of this divisiveness about this game. Obviously, our our discussion now sort of uh, reveals that. But it was also our runner up in uh, best soundtrack and sound design Oof. and um, best game world. I mean, it was an amazing world, wow. especially to someone who grew up in upstate New York. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, it's home. Did you yep. go up in upstate New York in like the 1760s, 70s? Yeah, yeah, I did. Wow. <laughs> Must have been here. exactly like that. I feel like we didn't quite finish that piece about the beginning. So this here's my other piece of concession about this: is that yes, okay, stabbing stabbing people is one thing. For me personally, I want to get to the the city. Um, to me, the coolest thing was when I first got to open up in uh, what was it? The first city in Assassin's oh. Creed. The in first two? game. No, the very first game. Oh, Acker. Is it Acker? Yeah, Acker, wherever it was. The ah, first time that you got to that first city, and it was just wide open to you. You could start going to the viewpoints and doing all that, and you know, you start checking off your own map 
right? And start mm-hmm. building up your portfolio and your everything. Um, to me, that's that's what I want to get to because I'm I'm sort of like an RPG guy in that way. I really want to you know build up my character in some sense, and so to have to wait for that for me was really what was mind numbing is because I knew based on the advertisement, based on everything else about that I wasn't going to be sticking around with this guy. Right. Right. I mean, I do understand that part because I was a little irked by that too. Cause I, when I, when I have an open world, the, my, I become like scatterbrained in ADD. I'm like, Oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? I can do this and this and this. Look at squirt. <laughs> um, but, and it, I was kind of a little disappointed at the fact that I couldn't do that. Run around as Haytham and everything. I still, there was still some of it, which I ran around and did as Haytham. But, like, I couldn't do everything because I had to wait until I became Connor. Um, but at the same time, I thought of it as, like, okay, fine. This is just straight story stuff. I can always get to the open world stuff and run around and do all the dumb ADD stuff that I like. That'll rack my hours up in this game to around 40 to 50. I'll, I'll get to it eventually. Right now, I just got to plow through the story. Yeah, but you see, that's the thing about the Assassin's Creed series is that I feel like consistently they've they've moved away from a player getting into the world and building the story for himself. This is something that Dan always talks about with his emergent narrative versus you know authored narrative, and it's it's really becoming a lot more directed and kind of annoying because the world is built for you so well that it seems like there could be a way to make all of the story happen by just letting you into the world. They're really trying to guide you more. It comes back to that accessibility thing also. I'm super on board with that, definitely. I'm with you on that too, and here's my evidence. Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, I bought every storefront, I collected every codex page, I did everything there was to do in Brotherhood. I don't know that I collected a single Franklin page in Assassin's Creed 3. Because yeah, well, it's, it's more just trivial stuff at this point. They're just right. throwing things at the game instead of building the world. Right. And I kind of liked the Homestead stuff. The Homestead stuff was cool. Yeah. Because it had it had extra bits of story on there when you did that, and the naval battles were also a ton of fun. Yeah. And when you did the some... naval battles, you, I think you got a couple of uh, weapons and you got a uh, outfit at the end too. Menial tasks have always been around the Assassin's Creed series. I just feel like they dress it up as something different. I have a question. There's a very distinct difference in in those side missions, and and maybe I'm splitting hairs here, but it sounds like we're kind of coming to the point where we're saying we feel like there's a difference. We just don't really know how to describe it, right? Uh, I mean, there's and, there's definitely a very specific difference. It's not so much in those those little bits and pieces. It's in the way the narrative is driven itself. It's like, okay, now we're doing narrative versus and then this is all shit that you can go do versus in the first game and and even a little bit in the second game what you did was the narrative like the point of doing all the quote unquote side missions was you were gathering intelligence to drive toward your final assassination target sure. yeah you know so it felt it, a little bit more like an RPG in that way right where it was sort of character building and world building at the same time right yeah um, I'm down with that, and I, I think the storefronts are a good example. Take storefront versus, I mean, we're using the Almanac page, but they, they had storefronts and that kind of thing in Assassin's Creed 3 as well. But you use, like, the banking system and, um, what was it, um, Monterigione, the, <laughs> the house that you lived in in one of the yep. games. The villa. Uh, the the villa. sister Claudia. Where that was also tied into your weapons, and that was tied into 
um, your armor and being able to get all that stuff, right? Like the more that you took care of the household, the more money you got so that you could buy like super badass, you know, spalders or whatever it was. <laughs> Either way, I think that those were tied in pretty directly and you could see that direct connection between those side missions and sort of what I would call the core gameplay is the, the climbing and the, the combat. Maybe the reason why they left some of those elements out was because, you know, to the casual gamer, do they really have the time to do that stuff? Yeah. To do I those mean, side missions that integrate with the narrative and, like, help boost your stats and everything. The casual gamer may be like, well, shit, I don't want to have to, like, go through all that effort when I don't have the time. I just want to get through the story and do a little bit of the side stuff. Just give me, give me, give me the stuff for free. Just give me a chance to buy it. I'll find other ways to make money or whatever. So you think they were all around a table and they were like, man, it's going to be tough to get a bigger audience. And the guy, the other guy was like, ah, just make that shit optional. <laughs> I, I, don't know why, I don't know why he's from wherever he was just from. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, just make that shit optional. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was like. All right, I think we've beaten this to death. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to another game that we could well, at least some of us could talk about for years. Um, Mass Effect Three. Here we <laughs> go. It was it was a runner up for best voice work. You know, uh, Jennifer Hale got runner up for for best female performance, and it was uh, a clear clear winner. It was our most decisive winner in the entire Nodi Awards as the best RPG of the year. So, Jason, go ahead. Say what you will. All right. I'm the guy who likes the ending. Here I am. Is it Mike, too? No. No. Aren't you getting down with the indoctrination theory, Mike? That's that's debatable on whether that's the real ending. No, we can argue about that, too. (laughs) I, I I want games to be equal in every sense to everything else out there. There are some movies considered art. For for instance, if we want to get to the games as art thing, that's never going to happen if these creators are not allowed to create the way they want to create. To let the last 20 minutes of that game ruin the other 29 hours and 40 minutes average is absurd. The game from start to finish, every game you, you go to different planets and you do different tasks. This time you're going to home worlds. You're going to Palavin, the home world of the Turians. You're going to, to is it Thessia? No, I don't, I don't remember the name. Sirkesh, I'm sorry. Sirkesh is the home world of the Salarians. You're going to these home worlds, the, the, the places where these races that we have been introduced to for two games, where they, where they originate, where they are. So there's going to be a lot more there's, there's a lot more gra- gravity, there it is, a lot more gravity to these missions because you're, you're not taking Garrus to some planet and, and trying to complete a mission. You're taking him to his home. And it ends on our home, Earth. And you end up on the Citadel and you get the choice. You get the choice. You realize that you're not going to be able to save everybody. That, that, that opportunity is long past. But you do get to fix the problem how you so choose. The, the entire game is about choice. It gives you a choice. For me, to, to, to summarize the entire experience of how this game makes you feel, if you're a fan of the series, 
is the moment with Shepard and Garrus at the Citadel on top of, I guess it's an archway, or that you drive to the place where you're not supposed to go, and they have a little a, a, a pissing match, a shooting contest, mm-hmm. where they jabber back and forth, and they and Garrus makes fun of Shepard, and you can choose to either beat Garrus in this contest or not, and they have a little back and forth. It's really funny. It puts a smile on your face. These games made you care about these characters. They made you care about this world. They made you care about the things that happen in it. And this entire third game is about all that stuff you care about basically going to shit and you having to save it however you can. So you go through these missions and you go through these worlds worrying about everything that you've worked for, was it all for naught? And that worry, that, that, that drive to make sure that it won't be. And then you finally get to the end and you can do it, whatever you choose to do. But that, that emotion, that holy shit, this is my world. I built this. I'm a part of this. I'm, I've saved this now twice. I have to do it a third time. That, for me, was a real driving force. And I think Bioware and the writers put that through excellently. Yeah. My favorite part of the game is, is fighting the Reaper with the Normandy laser on, uh, on the uh, Quarian homeworld. And you have a conversation with it where it's basically like, tell your guys that I ain't taking your shit. And then Legion comes out and he's like, well... You don't really need me anymore. And my favorite character from Mass Effect 2 just says, that's it, and turns himself off. And if you're playing the right way, you can't do anything about it. So a lot of this game, and a lot of the Mass Effect series, is a lot about choice, obviously. It's a lot about your characters and consequence and building your story. Um, one thing that, that seemed to be uh, happening with this series and, and its choice system was that um, at least, at least to me, I noticed that they're streamlining the the good versus evil of it all, or maybe not good versus evil, but the but the the positive or or like the good guy choice versus the like asshole choice. Um, and you could kind of like go through the whole game and just be like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, and not really have to think about what you're doing because you're just you're you're artificially creating a character rather than having to to choose particularly what your character is saying and then have the world react as it will in in games like uh, maybe Dragon Age where there were a variety of selections and nothing was prescribed as you know the paragon response or the renegade response whereas right. in Mass Effect 3 they did do that how, how did you guys feel about that like did you think that that detracted um, from from the feeling of choice and consequence that the game sort of purports to to give to the player, it did a little bit um, because it did become easy because I decided you know very early on in the first Mass Effect that I'm going to be a paragon, I'm going to be a good guy, I'm going to always be the good be the good guy, and so you feel like you I kind always, of have to, right? Yeah, mm. I knew that, and I knew that the good guy choice, the non asshole choice, was always the top right. Of the uh, the dial, so I always just went top right, top right, top right, top right. Um, so it, it really just became like, really didn't become much of a choice. It really just became like a force of habit, mm. which is um, part of the reason why I was like so. We'll get we'll get more into this later, but this was why I was so blown away with uh, the options of choice and the timing of making your choices and not clearly knowing which was right and which was wrong in The Walking Dead. 
because it was so much different and there was no clear cut good or bad answer like just screaming at you with a big blue circle or a big big red circle or blue outline or red outline um and you had like seconds to react as opposed to in in mass effect where you would just sit there and be like hmm do i want to be a good guy do i do i want to tell this person it's okay or do i really want to punch them in the face yeah Hmm, let me think about that. What could this do? Like, instead of having like those five minutes, you just sit there and ponder till you're, till basically you rot your brain. Um, you had to think fast on your feet. And, and during the first Mass Effect, that was, that was like cutting edge in game development, that choice. But towards Mass Effect 3, that system started to really show its age. And it's kind of, as much as it didn't really bother me too much, it, it's kind of almost a fault by Bioware to not evolve the dialogue system enough with the times as the series yeah. progressed. I mean, to their credit, they did add a few of those uh, quick-time interjections starting mm-hmm. Mass Effect 2. But um, like like you said, in the first game, I uh, I started out just trying to role-play, you know, like take this character and answer as I would. And, you know, I quickly learned that I wasn't going to succeed as well <laughs> by doing that. So I just kind of fell into the Renegade side. Um, I'm like the only person who played the game Renegade, apparently, uh, of everyone <laughs> I've spoken to. Um, and it, it kind of took some of that uh, role-playing, I mean, it took a lot of the role-playing away. And it, it kind of bugged me a little bit. So I, I kind of I agree that they could have evolved it. Especially, you know, since they have, they've had so many years with the three games. Yeah, and even with the uh, the interjection system, when it happened, like you still had the big blue circle or big red circle during the quick time event to let you know if it was a renegade interruption or paragon interruption. Mm. And I mean, technically, based on the way that the whole renegade paragon system worked, that had to be there. But you also think, well, then maybe they should have evolved the the uh, renegade paragon system or even gotten rid of it that would be that would be bold though considering everything in these games has been built on what's come before yes no way um but i mean the narrative i mean is is uh, monumental when you've played through each of the games and and you know grown with these characters and gone through their stories. So, I mean, there's, there's always that. And I mean, Mass, no one's going to say that Mass Effect was a bad series, right? I mean, it obviously it was our best RPG. And This was an incredible three-game journey where you got immersed in this incredible new universe, got attached to all these various characters, and like, not since really Star Wars or Star Trek has there been such a rich sci-fi universe created for fans of, of that kind of genre, or even in gaming in general. Right. I mean, that's it. That's why it was one of our Game of the Year nominees. I mean, there's no, no denying that. Nope. So we knew that Mass Effect was going to be great, and we kind of thought Dishonored was going to be great, but we didn't really know for sure what to expect. But it ended up being pretty great. Um, it was uh, another one of our Game of the Year nominees, and uh, it came in... You know, as our runner-up or as our winner in a bunch of categories. You know, it had the best game world as voted by the GamerNode staff. It it was second for emergent narrative. Um, it was our you know second on best action game, second best new IP, 
had our most badass player ability in the the blink, particularly to kill a tall boy. And in general, it was just a great, it was a good time to play it. I know, uh, who, which one of you guys really got into that? Certainly said I was going to at some point. <laughs> well, I really I loved mistaken. playing it at whatever it was, E3 or whatever we played it. Yeah, uh, E3. But well, yeah, best I, of E3. I never, did, uh, I never did pick it up. I don't know why. E3 was actually where I successfully was able to pull off a blink to kill a tall boy. I haven't been able to do it since, but it was awesome. Mm. It's all really incredible video online of someone. Um, so, you, you know, there's a mission where you, you have to, and this is the one that we played at E3, where you have to get Sokolov from the top of a building sort of down to the very base of it. Yes. Where someone straight up threw him off the top of the building, did like this slow down time, and then did like this leap of faith like eagle cry move and just before they hit the bottom did like a little blink and then caught him <laughs> as he was falling. <laughs> it was incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the main thing that I that I would want to talk about for Dishonored, you know, aside from just the the pure action mechanics and and really I think felt that this was the game this year that played the best in terms of it, its tangible mechanics, you know, the way it felt to move around. Because, I mean, that was a big part of the game was was interacting with the world. And uh, where I was going with this was um, the world was, was the major part of this game. Um, the world and the way that the narrative emerged out of your actions um it was like i said it was our runner-up for best emergent narrative and those two things really combined into into one because there was a story and the story was pretty basic it was revenge and you know by the end it was kind of like whatever but the way that you did it you know the way that you proceeded through each mission was really wide open to you and this is kind of what i was talking about with assassin's creed is that you know the game just said, here it is. These are these are all your options, and they're very clear about telling you. Like, you'll go through the game, and, it'll, and a screen will come up, and it'll say, now there are, this, there are so many different ways to go into this building and do this thing. Whichever way you want to do it, it's up to you. And they, like, they put their hands out in front of them and made that gesture, like, there it is. Have it. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> And it really worked out that way, because you could play the game once and not kill a single person and you could play it again and be like Ezio, you know, like murder everyone. Um, and, and it really worked out well. And, and if you go back and you think about the game in your mind, there's a story there based on what you did. And that's what sticks with you more so than the actual author narrative than the, than what they told you. And, that that's a really great thing about it and i i had discussions with other people who played the game and how you know different things that they did really struck them and stuck with them and that may have been completely different from from my experience which was you know equally as interesting to me so like all around i felt like dishonored was solid and uh, it's a shame that it didn't really do as much winning as it could have but you know it made a strong showing in a in a year full of uh really heavy hitters a couple of a couple of big time winners which we're about to talk about soon yeah well i, I remember um harvey smith and and ralph colantonio to the lead designers for dishonored talking 
really explicitly about enabling players with mm-hmm. emergent narrative and and saying that their objective you know while they had an idea and they had a vision for you know what they were doing with with the story that that where their main focus was and where like 99.9% of their time and effort was going was into giving players options giving them a tool set that worked watching you know their test uh, you know their focus testers play the game and like oh wow i didn't even realize that you could explode as a fish or you know like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you know i i think there's clear dividends there right when that's the focus for the designer the player sees it it's yeah. like it's almost one to one right yeah, there were and, powers that I didn't even activate throughout the entire game. That's that's how open it is. Yeah, yep. and I didn't even play it, and I'm still <laughs> pumped about it. <laughs> well, I, if I if I'm gonna put in my two cents, um, I would go back to uh, what Eddie was saying about the world. And if I'm if I'm correct, uh, Dumball did actually win. I think best game world. Yeah, for the for sure. that noty. And I mean, Dunwall really made up for the mess story of uh, Dishonored. Um, and it really, whenever I played, Dunwall to me felt as important to the game as uh, Rapture was to the original Bioshock. I kept... Oh, and Dan hasn't played it. <laughs> <laughs> where, in a sense to where there's so much you can run around and do and you can play around and there's also lore and people you can listen in on as they talk it like the city and the people itself are as much a character in the game as uh, as Corvo is or if if not even more so which is which to me was just like Rapture and BioShock and that's what really struck me the most about Dishonored when I played was just how rich and and fresh and how involved the world was and how just how much the world itself grabbed you and you connected to the world as much as you did, if not more so, than any of the characters in the game. Yeah, totally concur. Okay, well, yeah, that's that's Dishonored. Um, sort of on the flip side of that, though, we had a game that that was all about the characters, and it was all about winning a ton of awards, or at least contending, and that's The Walking Dead. I mean, yes. That, yes. that was... Real close to being our game of the year, um, you know, we we thought it had a, a real good shot. It eventually didn't win, but you know, it it won best voice work. Uh, Lee Everett, Dave Finoy was our runner-up for male performance. Uh, Clementine, Melissa Hutchinson was our winner for female performance. You know, it it was runner-up for best hero with Lee and and best uh, authored narrative. Clementine um, also won for best sidekick, did she not? Yep. Clem was our best sidekick. Uh, Walking Dead had our best ending this year. Um, the Walking Dead was our most pleasant surprise. Walking Dead was our most emotional experience. These are all awards that I'm listing out. These are things that, that this uh, game took home. Best puzzle slash adventure game. Um, best no, it wasn't it was our runner-up for best downloadable game, so that gives you a hint of where we're going. And it was our runner-up for game of the year. So all of that, this five-part downloadable adventure series uh a an experiment in episodic gaming just dragged all that in and that that was a real triumph for telltale games who was our uh, our publisher of the year so i mean really good work who wants to 
Who wants to talk about it in more detail? As a huge fan of the comics and a fan of the show, um, I when I first heard that The Walking Dead was going to be getting a video game, my first concern was, I hope it's more like the comic and less like the show. And if it is like the comic, I hope to God they don't hold back. And when I watched episode one and especially episodes two and three, I saw they didn't hold back. And that's and I knew just just by playing it and just seeing it, they captured the comic perfectly. They got the themes perfectly. And this was going to be something incredibly special when all was said and done. And it it very much was. And it all started with the fact that they stuck while they didn't have the characters, they stayed in that world and stuck with some of the very same problems and issues that characters in the comics had dealt with. And like zombies, just (laughs) yeah, like zombies (laughs) and like just, and in situations where most games wouldn't go there, like how in the walking dead, it was in most situations that the comics generally wouldn't go there. They went there and they touched on those subjects and they, went to those depths and delved into like people's minds and analyzed just how far people would go in the situations that those characters were stuck in and just how, how well they pulled that off. It, um, you know, was, was incredible. And that's not even to speak of, uh, how great the gameplay and the way that they operated the choices and everything was. That's not even to, to consider all of that stuff. Yeah. One, one thing that I really, think stood out of all those awards was best emotional or most emotional experience. I think that was the key for me that just every episode, you know, one, two, three, four, five, just something would happen that would just like pull the floor out from under me. I'd be like, are you kidding me? And you know, I had to come back and I hate episodic things. I hate being compelled to have to come back and finish a story later. But this game, this series just did that to me over and over again. And I loved these characters. And, you know, by the end I was, you know, I could, I could cry for, you know, what happened to some of these characters. I didn't, I didn't cry, but I almost cried. (laughs) Tears welled up a bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's the thing that really did it for me. If, if I was going to boil it down, I I did. I'm not gonna lie. I, there there may have been there may have been tears of feels. Tears of feels. Not gonna lie. All episode five. Feels. Episode five did me in. Oh man, I came close. I, I came close, close in episode but, three. But you know what? It, it wasn't. Yeah, that too. But it wasn't the part that you think it is. The the direct end of episode five it was when you're walking to that point and clementine looks over and she sees uh you know what i mean uh yeah that i'm like oh Oh, yeah no Uh. and then and then i i've never been so i get emotionally engaged to these games i do but I never have been so emotionally engaged to the point where I wait until 3 a.m. for it to go onto Xbox Live so I can play <laughs> it immediately. Because I need to know. Oh, man. And I did it with episode three. I won't do it again. Because I was a really, really worthless at work the next day. But um, I, I, I can't believe that if you had said to me in January 
that a point and click adventure for a a licensed point and click adventure for a light for a series or a franchise that I had not seen a single episode of, nor had I read a single page of the comic. Yeah. Was going was going to be not only my game of the year, but my gateway into that franchise as I am now catching up on it on Netflix. Finished season one today. Mm. I I would have thought you were crazy. And yet here I am. Here I am sitting here saying that Clementine is the best character in video games this generation certainly but maybe ever wow she think about it what it's other a bold game, statement but it has legs what what other game gives you a moral compass like that where she it, it's it's, a, it's 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 literally an innocent little girl who will say to you um you probably should leave that stuff in the car hmm. it's not you shouldn't take that i will and say i didn't I was all about it. I was like, yes, we're saved. And then she goes, really, Lee? You're going to take that stuff? What if it's somebody else's? And then I went, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I stood there while everybody else took it. Yeah. I, I had a moment like that, too, in the very same episode. It was, um, and this is a spoiler warning for anybody who uh, hasn't yet played uh episode two and if you haven't what's wrong with you get on xbox live and steam as soon as this podcast is over and play that game was when right after you escaped from the uh from i think it was the the freezer box or whatever the freezer cooler whatever it was sure and uh, i can't remember i think it was andy st Clair. Uh, it was one of the St. Clair brothers, the one that who was more of a real prick the entire the entire series. Danny. Danny. And you have him down and you have the pitchfork and he's begging you to kill him to do it or saying that you don't have the balls. And I, with full conviction and anger and se- and a sense of justice, just drive that pitchfork into his heart. Mm. And then I hear Clementine squeal, squeal no. And you're like, and no! all of a sudden, I went from fully justified and completely like feeling 100% that I was right in what I did to feeling like the biggest piece of trash Me too. in my oh, life. Man. Me too. I, I am right there with you. I did the exact same thing. I did the exact same thing. I drove that pitchfork right into him, and I'm like, that's what you get, you cannibal bastard. And then I turn around, and she's like, really? That look yeah. on her face where she's just like, nice work, dipshit. And I'm, I just – I'm like, oh, God, no. I, I think that I think that's a particularly good moment because it's one of those like, oh, I'm in a video game. Of course I'll just kill something, right? You know? mm. and, then, and then it says, uh, nope, not in this video game. Yeah. yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I think I'm, I'm a little sour grapes on this game. I, I did like it. Um, it was not one of my favorites of the year. It might be because I played it on iOS. I don't know if the platform it. really that matters. I I mean, really, it's the same story. Uh, I would play it again on XBLA just to be sure. I'm yeah, I don't know how but, I don't know how that could really make it that much worse, honestly. I yeah, I don't really either. I mean, I I just didn't really care that much about the characters. I thought episode two was easily my favorite because it was the most like sort of like pulp horror. Which is kind of cool, you know, mm, um, yeah. and then sort of that slow bleed into a, a mystery you didn't even know was there, kind of thing. So, I I really liked episode two for for a bunch of reasons, but um, but I 
I don't know, the character drama, I had a hard time getting into it. I can't tell if it was that I just wasn't convinced by the voice acting or or I just didn't like the characters maybe, which, you know, that's that could totally be just a, I'm a I'm an idiot. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I believe it's certainly possible for Lee to not really resonate with you and to kind of think that he's not the best hero because he, he kind of isn't when you think about it. You know, he's just the dude. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's really, he's really you, and you are what you make of him, really. Yeah, yeah he really, yeah. He he really wants... is. And he kind of lets you see your own flaws, in a way, like you guys are just saying. Yeah. Which, which I think is powerful, but, you know, it may just not really click. I don't know. I just, I never got all that bent out of shape whenever any of the characters died or... There was a big transition. I mean, there are plenty of them, right? Um, <laughs> but I was, I was hey, like, I'll make friends with someone else. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too, I've played too many video games at this point. Right. But I was like, you, oh, I bet there's gonna be another episode. I'm just gonna keep playing. Like you sound exactly. <laughs> um, what you're saying is exactly what crossed my mind halfway through episode three when we ran into Omid and Krista. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "There's no way I can get connected to you." I just saw everybody I know. Oh, just, that's right. Oh, episode three was terrible. And of course, it's hilarious because Telltale Games goes, "Aha, aha!" in the very end, because yeah. you see Kristen O'Mead, and you're like, "Ah, oh, they're cannon fod- fodder. They're not. They're not going to make it through the friggin' episode." Yeah, yeah. I think you're racist. And they're. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting you say episode three was the worst one. I think it has the most powerful... Oh, no, it was the worst because it was the best. Because it oh. killed... <laughs> it was the worst because I, I like wanted to die when it was over. It made you feel miserable, but it was... When the, RV, when the RV pulls over? When the yeah. RV pulls over, that's, that's it. That's WTF the moment. moment of the year. That's the moment. The I RV felt, I felt lost at the end of episode three. I was like, no, this is really the apocalypse, and my life is, sucks, and I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't like any of you people i lost the people <laughs> care about <laughs> like, i wanted to shoot that girl myself you know what I now that i'm so thinking mad. i'm trying i'm still trying to pinpoint why i'm not crazy about this game i think another portion of it is because i played on ios those episodes came out like a month after so i was like a month behind everyone so i would spend a month reading people's reactions on twitter right and getting you know people being like hyping it up right because clearly everyone was all about this game, and so they're like, "Oh my god, I was crying. It was such an emotional moment in my life, and I told my mom I love her." And <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just like really went overboard. If well, I don't know. That was that was my take on it. Is I read too many people yeah, that getting really jacked up about it. Read. So probably my. I, I either went in with too high expectations or I was already jaded just by reading and being like, right. it can't be that, you know, wanting to sort of disprove it almost, right? Yeah, too hawked up on the hype train. Yeah. Or thinking it's going to change your life and being like, go downstairs and hug your mom. <laughs> uh, I have one last thought on it and then we can move on. Did anything in any game this year make you feel as badass is the only word I can think of? As walking to the Marsh House. That was pretty as, as I, awesome. I don't think so. With that song playing. That song's awesome, by the way. It's called Armed with Death, if you want to look for it on YouTube. Oh, man. Um, that or like anything Max Payne did. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, Max That's Payne true. did a lot of awesome stuff. <laughs> he did. He did do a lot of awesome But just walking through and picking a zombie and being like, take that, you son of a bitch. Yeah, that, that was, it was good. You are not keeping me from my surrogate daughter. 
Ooh, he, he, I did he, in, in Far Cry Three. I did a wingsuit into an aerial knife kill. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that, that was awesome. Fun. Yeah, right. Just right. <laughs> <laughs> saying. All right. Um, how uh, do you ask the question? I'm answering. How, I would just, I would just like to add one thing before we transition: is that never before has a game made so many people feel so miserable. Yes. Yeah, yet yeah. love every single second of it. Well, that's the kicker because plenty of games have made people feel miserable, but it's the fact that they love the misery that makes this game so special. Yep. So my question now is: How did this not? How was this not our game of the year? Uh oh, we're in game of the year territory. Yeah, there was, it was one game that was just a little bit better. Here it comes. It was quite a journey. Journey to yeah, get here. But here we are. Um, so are you I'm just gonna I'm gonna go through the list of what it won, and then we can talk about it. Yes, I was uh, crying. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> He's Horrible gonna go hug puns. his mom now. Horrible puns. So it was it was runner up for our most emotional experience. Uh, for most innovative original, uh, for the best ending, and for the best sidekick or, or supporting character. And it won best aesthetic style, best soundtrack, best sound design, best emergent narrative, best new IP, best multiplayer, best platforming game, best downloadable game, and game of the year. That's nine wins and four runners up. So, Dan, okay. why does Journey make you cry? I'm glad you asked, Eddie, because I have an answer ready, and I'm going to say that answer in the next sentences that I say. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my answer will reside. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. Uh, it's 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 the the wordless piggybacking off of that statement. Okay. Do you guys, remember when I first saw Journey and how yeah, easily yeah, I described yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Is it that easy? Yeah, it's that easy. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, when I first saw Journey, the other guys didn't see it, and I came out, and I was like, this game is so amazing, and I couldn't articulate it correctly, and I tried. It took me, like, three tries to actually get it out in a cohesive manner, and that's that's kind of why maybe Journey is so good. I mean, if I could... Yeah, totally. sure to say that. Well, and you can't describe it in in the same language that you use to describe other games because it doesn't have a lot of the same components as other games, dialogue and writing, in in the traditional sense, right? Yeah, its its dialogue is purely um, play or environment. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. Is that you know a lot of times we talk about games and we and we say they're good because they're good in ways that we've seen other things be good. Like, you know, Max Payne, like I said, I, I, I related it to a movie. It's like an action movie, and I said that about the other Rockstar games. But Journey kind of does things for you that only a game can do. And I think that's what elevates it above something like The Walking Dead. Because The Walking Dead, you're making choices, you're interacting, but essentially it's a story. So, like... It was a comic book, so you could go through that as a comic book, as a story, and read it. But Journey had to be a video game in order to be what it was, and because of what it was, it was powerful. And that's that's where I stand on it. I'm with Very, you, and that's a great way and, of putting it. And I think, you know, Walking Dead. I don't want I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too far, but I, I think The Walking Dead sort of 
succeeded in the play element by giving you the illusion of of choice. If you play through the game twice, you will realize that it is not of your choices really don't matter that much in <laughs> in sort of the scheme of it's a pretty you know tight authored narrative. Um, in Journey, I think they said, you know, to us it's not important that we that we give an illusion of choice. We're giving a sandbox, no pun intended, and we're we're saying here's two things that you can do in the sandbox. Three things: movement, jumping, and squeaking. <laughs> uh, and and that's the only element of play that we want you to mess around with. And I think I think saying something, you can say something very specific and very clearly when you don't have a lot of muddled other voices coming in at the same time and trying to say, well, what about bullet time? Well, what about, uh, you know, this choice that Lee made? Well, what about this other island that you have to go on to? You know, it's just, you're just jumping. You're just jumping and squeaking and you're going towards the mountain. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing it with someone else. With someone else, yes. Maybe. Or <laughs> Potentially. Not. Or maybe two someones else. Or maybe three, or you know, however many. Yeah. And, and that is another part of it that has not been done in that way at all. Um, the way that you really develop companionship. I actually relate this game most to the tiny little... Uh, was it Flash? Maybe it was a Flash game. Passage, um, where ah, you just yep. kind of you just kind of ran across from left to right in this tiny little box, and eventually you you meet a companion. And and I don't think you have to have the companion, but I, I think it's most people would. And you know you go through and you you do different things, and it's very simplistic. You either you know walk into a wall or you go past the the obstacle or you pick up something or you don't and you arrive at the end and um if you have a companion spoiler alert before you arrive at the end it dies it turns into a little gravestone yeah yeah and and i think just the fact that these games become like Kind of like Dishonored, I guess, <laughs> but in a very more minimalistic way, in a very more personal way, um, they just become your existence in that game world. Because, you know, it's so sparse, it it really allows you to to feel like you're really doing this adventuring. This is your particular journey. It's not the character's journey. And, and as a matter of fact, everyone's so anonymous that you're meant to be projected into that world and to feel what you feel when you reach the end and the beginning and the end. <laughs> there's a there's a, a feeling that I got when I beat Journey for the first time, and it was something I had felt before, but I didn't remember where. It was this... It was, it was like a sense of awe and, and beauty and, and wow... Wow, you know what I mean? Like speechless, whoa, this was awesome. And then I remembered where that feeling came from. And then I realized that the source of this feeling originally can kind of be paralleled in a sense. And it might be a stretch. Just, just go with me here. Who here is familiar with The Land Before Time? 
when that at the end of the land before time when the shadow is coming over the great valley and you finally see it for the first time and those dinosaurs go nuts because they finally found it you can't help but feel proud sad that it's over you know it's just pure joy and then you can start all over again if you choose the only difference is sharp sharp (laughs) sharp tooth is the difference yeah well well there there is inherent danger in journey with the the, those spotlight dragon looking things flying sharp tooth yeah flying sharp tooth but but in, in land before time obviously it's a movie there are finite companions you know who they are in this it's all anonymous and you don't even get to thank these people mm. on your journey. You you find out who they are afterward. And if you want to send them a message, you go right ahead. But to to me, it's it's really it's hard to explain. I'm kind of I'm kind of like Dan. It's 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 one of those things where you you I got to where the end of the game, and I just walked, and the credits rolled, and I just sat there, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to experience a game like that again. Let me ask you this question: Why cloth of any of any element or material or thing that you could have that would make up so many components of this game? Why cloth? It, it, it's it's a it's a noodle scratcher. It really is. I I, I don't know because it's made of threads, and threads are kind of what bind us all together. You know, like there are. Th- it's, I mean, not literally, but metaphorically. Um, there are threads in our lives. There are threads of stories. There, there are threads between people, um, things that connect us, things that, that break apart. And um, if you think about, uh, like, stitching or crocheting, you're building something as you go. You're creating with these threads, and you're, the cloth is getting longer and longer as you play the game, and it's sort of a metaphorical representation of the journey and that it's it's extending based on what you've done where you've gone because you only extend the cloth if you've gone to certain places where you can pick up the cloth so it's like each addition to your scarf is another experience that you've gone through on this journey and and I don't know I think it's really Good. I like it a lot. To, to I, me, it doesn't seem like the the cloth that you wear is a metaphor for the journey, because it's just a uh, it's it's your growth. It's a demarcator of how much you can do, and you're granted it by these white ancestor folk. So I think there's something about learning and growing there, perhaps, but. I don't know if, about it just being a metaphor for the journey itself. Well, I mean, could, learning and growing is both. part of the journey. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Like when you when you encounter those white angel people, um, that's part of that experience that I'm talking about. That's part of the places that you've been. Yeah. I mean, it's just to me. I know for me personally, the reason why journey stuck out so much in my mind and why I was so blown away with it and in awe of it was. Because of the fact that we've been, most of us, all of us have been playing games for over two decades now about, and ever since I first picked up a controller, the point of the game is really kind of to beat it, that there are challenges thrown in your way, and you have to overcome these challenges. 
And we've been, over the years, it's been ingrained in our brain a lot for, for most titles that in order to beat the game, you have to overcome these challenges. And the harder the challenge, the bigger an accomplishment you feel. And Journey took that concept and totally just turned it upside down on it and put it on its head and was like, no, we're not going to make you feel challenged at all. We're not going to make you feel stressed at all. We're just going to stick you here in this in this desert and we're going to put some amazingly harmonic, um, just really easy listening music in the background and just Soundtrack let you go. Incredible. And just... It's such a therapeutic and soothing soothing experience to go through. It's like nothing you've uh, I've ever seen before in games and I I'm normally used to used to using some sort of energy whether that's brain power or like mashing the buttons around like crazy and like getting my heartbeat racing at the challenges and to just mellow out and relax and there's really no demands or challenges placed on you and you can just go about your business and just enjoy the ride enjoy the journey it was just um it was so unlike anything i've ever done before and so soothing and it 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 was one of a kind it just i like all i could come away with was just like wow that was that was a certainly an incredible experience, something that I really wish and hope that more people will try to aim to do in the future. A woman who had not really been a big fan of video games and hadn't really paid much attention to them, maybe even told her son or daughter, whoever it was, that they shouldn't play games, played this game and it brought them to tears. That, to me, might be Journey's biggest triumph. But for all that it does well technically and musically and, and as a game, the fact that any person can connect to this, what, two-hour experience, two-and-a-half-hour experience tops, in a way that drives them to tears or affects them so emotionally that they can have this connection with this, just this character with no face, just eyes, and it chirps, it squeaks, as you said. That right there is probably the biggest triumph, from in my eyes, that 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 journey can accomplish. Anyone, complete accessibility. Any any people who say you know the whole video games are the devil and they cause violence and all this other stuff, just sit them in front of Journey for two and a half hours. <laughs> yep, I love that it's so competent as a video game kind of as we know it in, in terms of, you know, interactivity and such, yet it still has the power to, you know, speak to people like that at the same time. So it doesn't sacrifice any any aspect of it. Right. And it succeeds in every aspect of it. Here's how I think about it. If you equate, you know, you, you play games, you bring them home, you play them. It's kind of like reading a magazine, or getting a magazine off the rack. You do it, you're finished with it, you're done. And every once in a while, you want to pick up Dickens, or you want to pick up classic literature. And you want to sit down, and you want to read a good book. So for the magazine rack of games, this journey is is our Dickens. It's our Faulkner. It's our classic that can affect anyone universally, 
no matter who it is. Hmm. I like that. So, I mean, that I guess that's what makes it our game of the year. Yeah. There's no other choice. I mean, at first I was like, Walking Dead. But then the more I think about it, Walking Dead is, you know, an emotional story gripping experience. But it's not Journey. Yeah. It's not Journey. I'm going to be saying that all of 2013, I think. It's a great game. It's not Journey. I think, you know, The Walking Dead was a great game experience. But Journey was a transcendent experience. Mm -hmm. There's the word. There it is. I think... Really, the only person who can sum this up would be the poet and lyricist Seal. Who said, <laughs> "There's so much I need to tell you. So much we could say, but you remain my power, my, power. my pleasure, my pleasure, my, my thing." Amen. <laughs> Good night, folks. That's no. it. Thanks for listening. This is first node. Um, we're definitely going to end it just like that. <laughs> and uh, we'll get you on another episode here pretty soon. For now, go check out the site. We've got plenty of reviews up. We've got a new counterpoint about parallel games. Um, we're doing Co-op Node, which is the sequel to Versus Node in a way. Um, it's our video live stream series where we go online, we play games, and talk about them with anyone who's watching. And, and, uh, every week is the grill. Don't forget the grill. The grill. We're grilling every week. Jason's grilling every week. We got the sandbox too, by the way. Oh yeah, I love the sandbox. I don't participate every week. Man, that's a good feature. Yeah, and more coming. So uh, thank you guys for staying up late tonight, talking about games. It's always fun, and it's been it a is. never a dull moment. Indeed. Until next time. Or even dirty. Take care. Sayonara. My power, my pleasure, my pain. To me, you're like a grown addiction that I can't deny. Now, won't you tell me he's a healthy baby? But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a large and the light that you shine can't be seen? the gloom.